say your last name for us. I got it. Sure. So it's Badalino, Silent G. Oh, that's silent G. If you forget okay. about the G. Badalino. Real G's move in silence like Badalino. That's yeah. how I remember it. Yeah. So, so, yeah, because I, I, we know a number of people who have like the very like mystifying that one's spellings. good though, but that one is just like lasagna. Well, it's like 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 Hanny. Like, oh yeah, Jazzarelli. It's Jazzarelli, Jez- but yeah. like it doesn't look like that. No, I don't know what it looks like. Yeah, it looks like a it looks like a lot of letters jammed together yeah. out of like like you had a bunch of, of letters on the refrigerator and a toddler like yeah, you're playing. Them. Yeah, what's the game everyone's playing? Wordle. Wordle. I've been playing Wordle. Everyone's playing Wordle. Yeah, yeah. except me. I'm just too stupid. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. I'm just going to leave that. I, I can play Scrabble. You know, leave that hanging. I I don't know why pa- passwords or word puzzles. Yeah, hate that. You hate them. Yeah, yeah. All right, here we are. We have with us. Uh, see, I always now think of you as, to, as being '70s Big Mike. That's how I think of yeah, you. Yeah, '70s Big is it? That, that's yeah. the that's the OG. That's the original. Yeah, you guys were doing this before us in that in that way, right? I mean, didn't you? You guys had a podcast and the whole thing. This is Michael Badalina, by the way. Yes, we did. So we had a podcast. Gosh, so let me back it up. So Justin. He joined the Army in 2013. Uh-huh. So the podcast, we would have started that in 2011. And then we continued it a little bit while he was in the Army. Uh, and then we, we kind of stopped posting really anything on 70s Big in 2014 or 2015. Uh-huh. But yeah, 70s Big is, uh, I've still got, I've got a bunch of shirts up in the gym from 70s Big. And that's, uh, gosh, actually I'm staring at one right now. So as soon as you said that, uh, that parlays very well into the, the topic we're going to discuss. I cannot even. Yeah. When did uh, when did you visit? Even, uh, when did you visit us? What's that? When did you visit us? Twenty twelve. Twenty thirteen. So I separated from the Air Force in August of twenty thirteen, and then through seventies big, I had met Ben Claridad. Yeah. Right. And I messaged Ben, and I was like, "Hey, man, can I come stay your like stay and hang out at Midtown and?" and train with you for a week. He's like, yeah, cool. You can just crash with my parents. Uh, so this dude that I had never met, and this is strength sports, right? This dude <laughs> that I had never met, I knew him through the internet. Uh, I just crashed in him in his parents' house in their spare bedroom, and we became great friends. And gosh, Ben is just, Ben is a, is a fascinating dude. And he's gotten into strongman, uh, and it is so much fun to watch. Yeah, because he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I came by uh, Midtown, uh, which is now Third Street Barbell, right? Yep. Uh, and I remember, I think the first time, trying to, Jim definitely had a camera. Jim was definitely videoing something. Yeah, I had one actually and, permanently attached to my hand for a while. I had to have surgery to get it off, pretty much. And Mike was walking with his sled, uh, either on social media or texting someone. So you Probably were doing texting. like, you were like this, like on his, on, while pulling the sled. Yeah. We would pull a sled forever. I read one Louis Simmons book, and then I just fucking pulled yeah, sleds, yeah. hoping I'd squat a thousand. Never happened. We we, we all did. Yeah. Okay, we all were like, "All right, well, I'm doing uh, today's reverse band." So even though I benched 250 pounds, I'm thinking uh, I loaded up to like 450 and just get a crazy amount of band tension. And I'm like, "Why is my bench not going up?" You know? I <laughs> know. Oh, and 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 in hindsight. It might not be great for my training, but it probably would be better for my social media 
If I went back to those methods. Probably so. Well, they say it's a future method. In some future, in some timeline, maybe someone who resembles you might bench 450 or whatever. But um, Yeah. It just uh, looks cool. It does look really cool. Yeah. And everyone's going to have questions when you have bands going one way and chains going the other. Yeah. For no reason. So talk about it. Talk about the disparity, okay? So I I pulled 585. I squatted 500, and I think I was benching. God, if I even hit like 245, now I maybe hit like 265. But I was doing conjugate yeah. uh, prior to prior to discovering 531, which is probably what I should have been on all, all along. And then I moved to Wichita Falls, Texas, and yeah, I, I'm in Wichita Falls, Texas. So. Yeah. Uh, the home, the, the home of starting strength, right? Oh, right. Yeah, you uh, can't do any sixes so yeah, I, and no fours. That was uh, talk about an interesting time. Uh, that was that was a fascinating experience. But through strength sports, I've met so many, so many incredible people. Uh, and such like I, I met you guys, uh, and that was, and I've, I've stayed in touch with Jim over the years yep. uh, because I just was, I've, I've liked so many things that y'all have done. Uh, and I've continued to kind of follow this journey and especially, I mean, I, I definitely want to come out and visit the gym, but like I was, like I was telling Jim before, I love the third street barbell apparel. I mean, it is as comfortable as it appears to be in the pictures. Maybe that's a great tagline right there. That we've been looking for the tagline and we don't have it yet, but that, that might creep in to get to throw a little bit back at you. When I, when I was, when you saw me texting, probably just begging for a date, uh, walking the sled, uh, I, I was super into powerlifting, still probably 22, 23 years old, dug into Louis Simmons, dug into the, you know, super training stuff, mm. all in, even the raw stuff, because Dan Green was floating around the time. Um, but I didn't know, like, the history history. And your blog forced me to start Googling all these OGs. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, 70s big. I was like, what the hell is that reference? You know, like, you know, hairband or like, what the fuck does that mean? And I started to find... Um, Doug, uh, now I can't even think of it. Now Doug, that I'm on the Doug, spot, Doug, Doug Young, Doug, Doug Young. fucking Young became my hero. I was like, like the, some pictures you see him and he looks more like a Texas dude, but some pictures you see him and he looks like me if I was a badass. Like he's got the beard and like Italian fucking Chester. Like the most famous picture, he looks more like an Italian Guido. Yeah, but then in videos and stuff, he doesn't quite look that way. But that one picture, so iconic. I was like, that's I want those titties. You know, <laughs> I want to be that guy. Yeah, six hundred pound raw bench. No, a freak, absolute freaks. But yeah, seventies yeah. big is such a cool little niche. And even nowadays, some of the young the young guns could probably use your blog back because, like, you know, they're so worried about their calibrated plates. And and trust me, I love nice equipment. We have nice equipment. But if they just dug into the history of the sport a little bit and respected tradition, you know, yeah. tra- trained it on some Walmart fucking plates for a bit. That I always use even modern day Yuri Belkin. Like that, that fool is like the best deadlifter on the planet for nearly a decade. Maybe the best powerlifter for three, four, five years. And when you watch his videos, it literally looks like he's playing lifting on Russian Walmart plates. I'm like, what are those pieces of shit? And he's training on it daily, and, and then comes to any competition he wants and smashes everybody. That's crazy. But that's what I think of when I think of seventies big. I think of fucking Doug Young. I think of you. I think of Walmart Russian plates that these kids need to get a little bit tougher with, and not worry about that they're you know SPDs are one size too fucking big. I'm not gonna get anything so, out of these. Do you know where Justin? Like I, I I don't know if you're familiar with where Justin's at today. Do you, Do you know about that? 
I, don't, I think Jim might be based on some posts that I, I don't made, even know if I'm I know a, Justin. You, Do I know Justin? So Justin Lassick created 70s Big. Okay. And then I I, I helped Justin. Uh, he wrote a lot of the blog posts, but I would also I, I facilitated a lot on the website. Uh, you know, what, when Justin went into the military, uh, myself and his, his friend Jacob, you know, we did that for a couple of years until, uh, yeah, Justin... Let's see. So he enlisted in 2013 uh, as a Green Beret, a Green Beret medic. And then we just hit, this is 2022. So Justin was uh, wounded by an improvised explosive device at the beginning of 2019. So I'm, I'm going to mess my date up, but I believe it was March 4th. Uh, so Justin stepped on ID and lost. He's a double below the like below the knee amputee. Um, but gosh, Justin's, uh, Justin's journey is, uh, one of profound, uh, trauma and and then post-traumatic growth. And Justin has been very, very vocal uh, about his mental health challenges. He's been vocal about the mental health challenges within the military community. And just in general, uh, he's just been an advocate for mental health because it's, it's very stigmatized. Uh, so when Jim asked me what I wanted to talk about, uh, that was the that was the first thing that came to mind because I'm you know, even today I had probably five or six pretty deep discussions about mental health and it, it, not even thinking about the fact that it's six o'clock you know Texas time mm-hmm. uh, that I would be talking to you guys uh, about this uh, but yeah that's what that, so Justin you know we stay in touch uh, but you know uh, Justin is still is still working through all of this I mean it's uh it's a lifelong process and he's made a lot of, I mean, he has made a lot of progress, but it's a daily, uh, there are daily challenges. I mean, he's, he is, uh, he's been impacted for the rest of his life. His life is just very, very different now than it was uh, before, before he was wounded. So anyway, I, I didn't know if you guys had known no, that. I, so. I don't know if I've ever met Justin or heard of him. Uh, 70s big. I've always just heard through you and, and the, uh, meeting you and then Ben posting your stuff back in the day a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure we've crossed paths with Justin, to be honest. I, I am vaguely aware of it. I know what you're talking about. I just don't, I don't have a yeah. relationship with him at all. But, um, but maybe <clears> when you come visit, uh, that's your, your time to reunite with him and we'll bring him out here too and maybe we can all chat. Do you know Sturgill Simpson? Are you familiar with the country music artist Sturgill Simpson? No. I told you, I know Aretha Franklin Man. and I know Tupac. And then I kind of trickles away from there. Nothing in between or in any other genre. So Sturgill Simpson and Justin have become like, like best friends. Uh, Sturgill is a phenomenal country music artist. And I say that not tongue-in-cheek because I'm not a country fan. Uh-huh. Uh, but I love, I love Sturgill Simpson. Uh, he just... I don't know. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people sing from the heart, so maybe that's uh, you know, not the right phrase. But the dude is just so genuine. Uh, it just seems like somebody you'd want to hang out with. But through Justin, um, you know, being in Walter Reed Hospital, I think it was his mom that reached out to Sturgill, mm. and then Sturgill flew to Walter Reed, cool. and they developed this friendship. And then uh, Justin started touring with Sturgill right before COVID to raise money for the uh, Special Forces Foundation. Oh wow! That's very but, cool. or actually, I think the, the Green Beret, maybe it's the Green Beret Foundation, something close to that. But they raised a lot of money, uh, and they still continue to be really close friends. That's dope. That's great. Yeah, yeah. The, the Walter Reed experience, you know, because my my 
son who is not biologically my son, uh, who was wounded in Afghanistan in 2014, was there for two and a half years ish. And uh, I don't think you're prepared when you're when you're in there for the kind of attention that you can get from the outside world Um, because people really revere what those guys have been through and they're willing to do all sorts of, of um, amazing things for them. Um, My son who is sitting here running the uh, um, uh, video for us uh, stayed with our son who is not our son is, (laughs) is uh, my, my younger son's best friend who is uh, here. And yeah, that, that there, that experience resonates with a lot of people uh, in ways that are, are hard to describe, and um, uh, people from the outside, ex- you know, experiencing it coming there, or whatever. It's very emotional. It's a, just a huge, yeah. like you're being just walked into a wall of emotion, and the courage. Of of the guys trying to trying to rehab trying to trying to grab as much of their life back as possible, it was you know for our 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 kid Will, um, they put him back together like he they did limb salvages and he he left with you know a, a lot of extra hardware but but all of his all of his limbs and even there there's a there's kind of a, a dichotomy between the guys. Who are going to essentially live a close, you know, close a life close to what they had before, and those who are not, and um, sure. and they're actually sort of treated a little differently. Um, he was in a situation where he was it, it was a very heroic thing that, that people found out about. So they they um, the way he was treated sort of transcended the the difference between. Um, what his outcomes were going to be versus the other guys, but uh, I don't know. They just the point of all this is that the emotion really gets you when you're there. Well, even even the comment you just said there, yeah. and I have no experience on either like either of yours. Um, but like you said, like there's a group of people that will live physically similar lives, yeah, that they had before, yeah. and some that will physically live lives not as similar as before, right? But mentally. Something yeah, we can't scan and see. Right. Who knows who's going through what? And I guess that's the first question for you, Mike, is you're part of two. Yeah. You're part of two. We talk about mental health here all the time. And, and you're part of two, I would say, whether you want to say stereotypes or groups or communities in strength yeah. and in the military. Um, and, and, and maybe even at another one, American, mm-hmm. that don't – guys aren't allowed to have feels. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed to have any of these things, and and obviously your friend going through an insane experience, and him raising money for it, and all that's kind of floated in your mind more. How about pre pre twenty nineteen when your friend went through that? You know, t- you've been in the military. It sounds like for a very long time, off and on. What what's what's mental health conversations did you have in twenty thirteen with fellow oh. guys in the military or in the gym or twenty sixteen even? What were, were those even oh. concepts? I'll go, I'll go further back. So let's go back to 2005. So 2005 was the year that I enlisted in the Air Force. So I enlisted and I became an F-15 crew chief. So I was responsible for uh, inspecting the aircraft, uh, changing the, the oil, the hydraulic fluid, replacing components, uh, and just getting it ready for flight again, launching and recovering the aircraft. 
And I did that for the first four years of my career. I did that at RAF Lake in Ethan, England. And for those first four years, I really, I really struggled. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know, how, I didn't have any words to associate with anything that I felt. I don't think the word depression ever crossed my mind. I, I don't think, I, I didn't have, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I, there were several blind spots about mental health and there were just no conversations. I mean, I just, I would go to work. I would work 10 to 12 hours every day. I would come home. I would sleep six and a half hours. I'd get up and I'd train. And that was my life almost the entire time that I was in England. I, I deployed twice, once to Qatar and once to Afghanistan uh, for two four-month deployments. And then I went on several, several different tours throughout Europe and or several different what we call TDYs for a few weeks at a time throughout Europe and Asia. And it wasn't until I came here to Texas that I kind of started to realize that maybe perhaps I, I, I wasn't doing all that great, but I, I, I did a great job of kind of maybe masking a, a lot of the symptoms of, of my mental health challenges because I was so, I, I would pour so much into other things. So I spent a lot of time in the gym. I spent a lot of time going to school, to go to school. Uh, and I never really thought about any of this stuff. I just assumed that this was just kind of the way that you felt you know, you were angry and tired, and those were just those were just feelings that I had. Mm. And I, I have this kind of like, I have a positive personality, and I'm an optimistic person. However, you know, like I told someone the other day, uh, just because you know um, someone carries it well doesn't mean that the load isn't heavy. Yeah. Uh, so. I got out of the military in 2013, right around the time that I met you guys. And I got out because I had been really struggling with the ups and downs of, of gaining weight and losing weight for my PT tests. So at the time, the max uh, waist limit was 39 inches. And I always kind of towed that line at about 38. And that was my own choice. I mean, I decided to stay bigger so that I could do uh, so that I, I thought I needed to be bigger for powerlifting for strongman. I mean, I wish I had discovered earlier rather than later that, you know, I could probably be around this size at about 230 and be fine, but mm. didn't know that at the time. So it was like 250, 260, but I was always right on that line. And the amount of anxiety and stress of going up and down and knowing that my career hung in the balance, because at that time, and not to, uh, you know, not to downplay something as serious as getting a DUI, but you'd probably receive a similar punishment, maybe a little bit less, uh, you know, failing a PT test than getting a DUI. So it, it was that you were treated that poorly and kind of you were like, oh, oh, you got to fail the PT test, huh? Kind of a piece of crap, aren't you? That's uh, and I, I watch people get, get treated like that. It, it, it's not like that anymore. That it just really transitions uh, to, you know, they're, they're, they're thinking about taking care of people a lot better than they ever have been before. So I have to give the DOD and the Air Force credit for that. But at the time, it was just kind of like a one-size-fits-all approach. You, you fail a PT test, uh, you know, you're getting some paperwork. You fail another one, you might be losing a stripe. You fail a third one, maybe you're getting kicked out. Uh, and I watched that happen to someone that, uh, man, talking about mental health challenges. Uh, I watched him get separated because of uh, his challenges with the PT test, and then he's been struggling ever since. So I actually, uh, I, and it, it, it's more than just that. It, it wasn't just the uh, 
separating from the military, but he was losing his identity coupled with uh, a substance use disorder. And, you know, he's been unfortunately in and out of rehab about 10 times. And I love the dude. Uh, and I, I, I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that he's able to work through it, but he's, he's really struggled since then. So just maybe think of him, but anyway, how did I get interested, interested in this stuff? So 2015, we were forced to go to what was called resilience training. Okay. So we go to the training and I'm in the back row and the person up front that what we call the master resilience trainer, they're up front and they go, Hey, why do you guys think we're here? Like, what are we doing today? And I watched it. Most of the people in the room just kind of, uh, oh, like crap on the training and they're like, ah, you know, like, People are just too soft these days. You know, you just you skin your knee, like that's some dirt in it. Come on. We don't need to talk about crap, like feelings, like we're men, we're dudes. We're in a maintenance career field. We're tough. We don't need a, this sissy crap. Uh, true, and there were, there, true. Was, <laughs> there was this one gentleman in particular, and I, I still remember him to this day. He was just very, he downplayed all the, we don't need this stuff you know, kids these days, et cetera. It got to me and I do not remember a single word that I said. And I rarely kind of like blank out and go red and just, just, I, I just lost it. Like I wasn't yelling, but it was a very, uh, very passionate uh, speech <laughs> about why, you know, had I had some, uh, some words to capture how I felt and the things that I had gone through, because there were a couple of people in particular in leadership positions when I was when I was in England uh, that really, I mean, I I know the word uh, bullying might kind of downplay it, but I, I don't know how else to describe it other than the person really bullied me and made it very personal uh, the way that he treated me and, or didn't you know he was he was uh, it was shitty uh, honestly like you know he told me that I w- wasn't worth anything. Uh, I would never, you know, you know, you're wasting everyone's time. You suck. Uh, and yeah, it was bad. Uh, yeah, not, not a good experience, but anyway, would you think that I didn't uh, know, is a little yeah. bit a part of the culture? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's some, you know, there's some, there's the good natured ribbon, uh, shall we say, right? So it's, you know, giving people a hard time, uh, because I don't know, in, in certain communities, strength sports being one of them, for sure. You know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of funny to mess with your buddies a little bit. But there's there's a line, right? And it's when it's when people cross that line, and that line is different for everyone, okay? But when you cross that line, and you don't notice that you've done it with someone, and you don't care, yeah. And you continue to just double down, just beat someone down, and beat someone down, and beat someone down, and then worst case scenario. That person doesn't come to work because they killed themselves. And you're like, man, you know, knowing what I know now, uh, a lot of things could have been prevented. But at the time, just some of these behaviors were just they were just tolerated. Uh, and the, you know, uh, I, I used the phrase the other day, but kind of, uh, you know, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So people that kind of go and just do whatever they want unchecked because, they're successful. They're getting the job done. Uh, oftentimes, those toxic leaders. I mean, sometimes we 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 may overutilize that term, but they exist. Okay, yeah, for sure. And sometimes those toxic leaders they perpetuate a culture where people just no one cares about them. 
uh, and particularly someone that's, you know, um, they might not be in a good headspace and their mental health, they might be like a breaking point and someone just constantly berating them every day uh, might put them in a place where like, you know what? I just don't want to live anymore. I just don't want to be here anymore. And uh, I, at this point, so I'm at, I'm 36 and I'm super, super grateful uh, that no one like in my closest circle has taken their life. Okay. I'm, I'm so, so grateful for that. However, okay. You move a couple of rings, one to two rings outside of that circle. And I can't even, I mean, I can't even count on both hands. How many people I've known, I know that have died by suicide and, uh, and it's terrible. And it's always, uh, it's, it's always sad. And, you know, if we increase the awareness of kind of, uh, you know, suicidal ideations uh, or someone just just noticing when someone is struggling, uh, if we're able to pay attention to those things better, we can save more people. I mean, it's an aspirational goal to, to uh, you know, shoot for zero suicides. But really, that's what we that's what we should be doing to save it. You know, everyone that we can. Uh, and yeah, so long story short. OK, so from 2005 to 2015, didn't handle anything. I just kind of just ground through it. 2015, I heard about resilience training, and that just kind of uh, kickstarted me on this journey, right? So I, I became a master resilience trainer, and then from there, I happened to become the community support coordinator for our base. So when I did that, I was in charge of the resilience program for the installation for, the, for Shepherd Air Force Base. And through that job, I had so much, I, was, I gained so much knowledge and perspective just with the people that I interacted with and the situations that I came upon. And then through the, through the different training courses, some, some were good, uh, some were incredible. Okay. And some were so profound that like, even today I said, I, I shared with a couple of lieutenants, I said, Hey, uh, when you get back to your base, this is some training that you really need to find it, find. Okay. It's the, it's the best suicide intervention tool in the world. And you are going to encounter some people that are, that are, uh, that are at the point where they're ready to take their life. And if you have these tools, you will likely be in a situation where you can save their life. And we don't talk about saves enough, but I can tell you from someone that has, you know, intervened when someone already had a plan to die by suicide and the, the person is still here today, uh, I, I will tell you that, that it works. Okay. And uh, yeah, those are, those are the types of things we have to promote is talking about, Hey, uh, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone about ending their life and they're still here today. And that's a, uh, and that's a win. And the world is better for having them having them still in it. So anyway, said a lot of stuff. I know no, you asked good. one question and then I went on for about 10 minutes. So go ahead. What, what questions you, you got? You want to um, maybe define to me, you know, I've never been in the military. I've had friends yeah. in many branches and things. What resiliency training is? Because from the outside, that sounds to me like it's uh, anti-mental health. When I hear resilience training, I hear <laughs> toughen up and I hear rub dirt okay. in it. Um, and obviously that's just the name you guys titled it or whatever, but what is your job then? And what are those courses look like? Um, su suicide for sure. I mean, it's no, it's no lack of statistics and knowledge to show that it's the largest percentage is male. The largest percent probably within that is some type of military or, or PTSD background. Or you've been in stuff. Um, 
yeah, not proud, but I've been around it. Um, one of my favorite kids I ever coached in basketball took his own life when he was a senior in high school. I coached the kid in the gym every single day. Yeah, you know, and 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 like you said, like I don't know what a fucking sign is. I mean, I was only twenty two and he's seventeen, so we're but we're laughing, we're rapping little Wayne together. You know, uh-huh. like he had friends, I knew his friends. His friends are good kids. You know, sometimes. What are you supposed to know? What are you supposed to say? But I know that's another long uh, question, but what is resilience training? And then maybe a little bit of your job, and then we can dive into, um, I, I couldn't agree more, seeing signs and, and talking to somebody, just being a good person, being a real friend, if you sure. have real friends, is step one. But I think the overarching thing is still these cultures, uh, the culture that a man can't have feelings, the culture of not even knowing how to explain your feelings, the culture of bullying versus like, yeah, ripping or whatever you want to call your, you know, mm-hmm. talking yeah. shit. I'm going to talk shit to you all day. But when you step to the barbell and you're going for a PR, I'm also going to be the first one to cheer for you. Right? Yep. Like, I, I'm going to tell you how much stronger than I, I am than you all fucking week. But when it's oh, max yeah. out time, I also have your back first. Right? And so that mm-hmm. has always been my balance. And maybe that's not right either. Maybe I do go too hard. And I'm sure I have on some people. But um, the difference is, yeah, like a power position, like you were talking about, leaders – and actually just being straight dicks, and they probably need therapy the most because they don't even know how to be <laughs> empathetic. Actually, even it doesn't even have to go th- that hard to see um, uh, like a problem with the way that at least the military used to approach it. Um, I remember in the late 90s, my, my best friend was a, um, uh, he was a, a weapons controller or a, on a AWACS. He, like sat in front of a screen, whatever. That's <laughs> that's all he did. Played video games. He played essentially played <laughs> yeah. video games. But, uh, and uh, he and his wife had were having problems, and then she was pregnant. And I happened to go see him uh, up in up in Washington, and he's like, "You don't really understand why you're here, but you're here to help me figure out how to deal with this situation." And I said, can you not talk to a marriage counselor or something? Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not gifted in, in any way other than I can listen to you. And he's like, no, I would lose my flight rating if they found out that, I, that we were going to a marriage counselor. It's like, there's your career, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And you should get a bonus. Yeah. You should get a fucking bonus for going to therapy. You right. should get a, a yeah. one on the scoreboard and this dude's going to get knocked. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was That was gut-wrenching. It's like, I don't know how you're going to get out of this. And I really don't actually know. I think just I think that he just finally came to his senses about it and said, look, I have to, I'm going to have to make this work. Yeah. How, we have to communicate better, you know. But anyway. Ooh, okay. So a lot, lot to unpack there. You, said, you both said uh, – a lot of things. <laughs> said a lot of things. I'd like to, yeah, to, to work through. So first of all, so Mike, th- uh, thank you for sharing that about the the young man that you worked with. And, and I will tell you, the only the only good ish thing uh, that I've found to share with someone that that struggles with, did I do enough? Because uh, that's that's a re- that's a question that people regularly ask. And if you Google what to say to them, nothing comes up. Okay, sure. but. The best answer that I found is you did the best you could with what you knew at the time. And the reality is when you meet someone in life, uh, the likelihood that you have all of the skills necessary to meet their needs, I I mean, in many instances, it's not not great. Okay, so, you know, most of us are not equipped uh, to deal with a situation like that. So all we could do is raise the, the baseline level of awareness of, 
of suicide in general uh, or of uh, depression, anxiety, mental health. And the only way that we can do that is through open and honest conversations. And that's why I, I don't shy away from, uh, from saying the word suicide because you know, I facilitate suicide alertness for everyone. It's a program called Safe Talk. And in that program, they teach us, and this is research fact, they, they teach us that one in 20 people in a given two-week period have thoughts of suicide. And that's not saying that they, they're, they're definitely going to kill themselves and they have a plan. That's saying that thought has crossed their mind. So the, it is natural, okay, for, for someone to consider uh, what would the world be like without me, okay? Uh, a lot of us throughout our lives are going to, to wrestle with those sort of existential questions. However, where it becomes really serious and what we need to intervene is when they, they have a plan to do so. Okay, and when they have struggled for so long and haven't gotten the help that they need, uh, that's that's when it is really, really serious. So there's a spectrum for all of this, but it, sure. but it's very serious when someone says they have a plan. This is the day. This is what I'm going to do, etc. So resilience training is a uh, is a way of putting all of these these tools and skills together to where we can say that this person. Uh, we're helping them bounce back because that's what we're trying to teach with resilience training. We're, we're trying to help them bounce back because the way that I tee up resilience training is that life, life is like a roller coaster. Okay. Uh, we would all love to have the best days ever. Uh, everything is awesome. We're grateful. We have a roof overhead, food in our bellies and people that love us around us at all times. But the reality of life is that, okay, I'm going to throw out a quote here and one of you are going to get it without question, but everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So who said that? So Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, yeah. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. So I share that with uh, with young airmen sometimes, and they're like, they're like, who? Now they still know Mike Tyson, but they don't know the, you know, they, they don't know the real Mike Tyson. Okay, yeah. the, the Mike Tyson that we were like, man, that dude, uh, that dude's a hell of a boxer. But anyway, I tell I tell the airmen that look, uh, we're gonna have the highest of highs in our lives, but we're gonna have some rough days, and we don't want to compare situations. But there are some of us are going to encounter situations in our lives that we weren't prepared for. OK, so some of us are going to experience uh, out of order deaths. So, it, it, you know, we in general, we do not our children do not die before us. So that is an out of order. That is an out of order uh, life event. OK, and man, we suck, suck. Uh, as a species in, in helping others navigate those profoundly traumatizing points in their lives, because you don't know what to say. And in reality, it's not necessarily what you say. It's, it's your, it's you being there. Okay. So let's say your, your best friend of the world loses a child. Okay. And which is just profoundly hard. Okay. And you want to say something, you're like, I want to say, what do I say? You don't have to say anything. Put a hand on the shoulder, let them cry, and, and just and just hold them and tell them that you love them, okay? And let them, let them be angry, let them say whatever they want. Just give them the space to do that. But we think, okay, uh, and a lot of times dudes are fixers that we need to say something or that we need to fix it for them. Yeah. But really, if you start to study grief, uh, the best thing you can do is not try to fix it. The best thing you can do is just be there for them. And maybe when the time comes, you can share some grief tools. Like I, I'm really into David Kessler 
and Megan Devine. They've done a lot of research on grief. Uh, and I think they've got some wonderful things to help people that are grieving. Uh, but re resilient skills are just, they're things like gratitude. Okay. So uh, learning how to develop a great uh, gratitude practice. So talking with your spouse, significant other kids about the things that, that went well in the day, uh, letting people, know, hey, an example of a gratitude practice, right? I'm very grateful to both of you for giving me the platform to do this, to give me the opportunity to do that. So just expressing gratitude is something that we don't traditionally, we don't do it that often. You know, we text a lot, uh, maybe, text, maybe we make some phone calls, but the face-to-face, -face, the interactions of like, hey, I'm grateful for you and what you have done to help me get to where I am today. Like, how often do we say that? Yeah. And you're like, you're like, oh, say that to your best friend today and see what they're like. Huh? Me? Uh, but we teach, we teach gratitude. Uh, we teach things like mindfulness. So there are some mindfulness activities, but also just the idea of being present. Uh, really, really hard. Really, really hard for me. My mind is always running a million miles an hour. I've always got to be doing something. Uh, so as an example, me being mindful is just me just hanging out with my daughter just for a few minutes while she eats a popsicle next to my truck. It's super hot out. Popsicles leak, uh, is uh, dripping everywhere. And I was just in that moment. And I'm like, man, I'm not thinking about I wasn't thinking about the podcast tonight. I wasn't thinking about any more work that I had to do. All I was thinking about was, man, this freaking kid, she's amazing. And I'm just watching like she's just trying to eat the popsicle as pieces of it are falling on the ground. Uh, so we teach mindfulness. We teach uh, values-based goals. So figuring out what your values are by doing a, a value survey and then how to, how to uh, create goals uh, associated with those values and these are things that I sure as hell didn't know them. Uh, as a brand new airman, I was just like, okay, I do my job and I go home at some point. Uh, and then periodically they feed me. You know, I was kind of like a, kind of like a, I was going to say a gremlin, but more like a mogwai. You know, like <laughs> I'm taking care of a tiny creature that's like, okay, do the thing. Okay. Uh, but we give them those skills as, uh, you know, foundational knowledge for, for what they're going to experience throughout their lives and throughout their careers. Because well, every time I, and I'll share an example and I'll keep it pretty, uh, pretty generic because, uh, you know, I want to respect this young lady's privacy, but I, I, I facilitated this training uh, at one point and probably about, it was towards the end. So about two hours in it, really all I talked about was gratitude, values-based goals, bringing your strengths. So how to kind of like bring your authentic self to work and how to, um, how to, how to show up at work where you could, you could maximize what you can give to the team because they let you. Okay. So that's all I talked about. Nothing, nothing super profound. I just created a space where we could have a conversation about this. You know, I, and there wasn't like a power differential. It wasn't, I'm a facilitator and they're the student receiving the material. It was just a collaborative environment. And by, by the end of that session, she shared with me that, you know, she had been through something profound, what I would call uh, just um, uh, probably unusual makes it sound a little pejorative, but she had been through, she had lost her best friend. Her best friend had died in front of her uh, when she was a kid. Okay. So her best friend uh, put a gun to her head that she didn't think was loaded and took her life. Okay? Oh. And in, in my, in my mind, right. I'm like, Oh shit. I'm like, okay, so it, the first thing I think it was like, fix your face, okay? So, you know, I don't want to be like, 
Okay, I want to let her know that you know I'm I'm receiving this information, but she can still she can share this with me. So someone shares something like that with me, I'm like, I'm so sorry that you experienced that so young in life, but I, I and I'm grateful that you shared that with us today. Thank you for that. Okay, and then we had a conversation about how that kind of affected her because that's going to affect you. I mean, if you're a kid and you see that, uh, that changes you. Okay. That's that, that shakes you to your core and, uh, how it affects you. There's no real telling, but it's going to do something. Okay. So we talked about it. And then at the end of that conversation, I shared with her, Hey, if you don't feel like you fully worked through this, that's okay. They have some great, uh, some great methods now, something like, uh, EMDR, that uh, psychologists and, and licensed counselors can utilize to help you work through those uh, those traumatic situations. And, and that's maybe something you should look into. And she said, well, you know, I don't know if I can go to, to mental health, you know, what that in my career. And I was like, yeah, there's a, there's a big stigma uh, towards that. Okay. So people think they go to mental health, they're going to end their career. Statistically speaking, it's not true. Now there are some diagnoses uh, that you, you know, you might not be able to stay in the military with, but in general, so depression, anxiety, those that are statistically more common, you can continue to serve in the military and had a great connection with her. And I was confident that she was going to go and get the help that she needed to work through that. But all I could do was create the space where she was willing to share that. And then once I got that information, go, OK, how do I uh, how do I turn this into a teachable, teachable opportunity for the entire class and then also get her the help that she needs? And that's the type of stuff that. I, I never would have thought 17 years ago when I first joined the Air Force uh, that I ever would have had conversations about. So, I don't know. I, well, I, I think I remember your original question, but what do you? No, what, no, what's no. The you you gave a good one? idea of what resiliency yeah. training is. You yeah. Know, yeah. Compared to just yeah, the name to me sounds different, and I assumed it wasn't what I thought. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like being resilient mm-hmm. to me means like you toughen out, put your fucking chest out, yeah. kid. Yeah. I. I think that when you encounter people in in your in your like regular life, I mean, obviously this is part of your professional life, but who mm-hmm. who are depressed and potentially talking about suicide, and or you you, or you you sense that there's something very very wrong, I think yeah. that like we all have a sense of wanting to do something about it and mm-hmm. are not sure, and there's a lot of apprehension around, am I going to say or do the wrong thing? Yeah. And then sure. what you said about being a fixer, too, that's a, that's a huge overriding thing, just wanting to fix yeah. it. Like, stop, I want you to stop feeling that way. How can I get you to stop feeling that way? Because yeah. the fact that you're feeling that way is making me uncomfortable, and I don't know how to inter- interact with you. Or, or and, if you really do want to help, like very few things in life is helping a passive act. Yeah. If you're cleaning, I have to go help you physically clean to help you. Yeah. Right? But in these cases, yeah, may- maybe being a little more passive and just kind of creating space, like you said. I don't, I don't want to switch. So Jim said it. That was perfect. So, so what Jim said was perfect, though. He said, you know, you're making me feel like i uncomfortable and like I need to fix something. So what you can do in those situations, because in, in your gut, right, especially when you first start having conversations in, in this way, in, in your gut, you're like, oh, I just want to tell them, like, it's going to be okay. Uh, look at how much you have in your life. There's so much to live for. But when we do that, it's not about them anymore. It's about us and how, how we feel. Okay. For sure. So the focus, if we keep the spotlight on them and how we can support them, uh, that that helps me kind of cage my reactions 
uh, and the next things that are going to come out of my mouth because I've gotten better about even just a even just a, a one to three second what we call a pregnant pause when you're just like you just sit with it. It's uncomfortable at first, but once you get good at it, then you're like, okay, I, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking this, and then you you say exactly what you intend to say versus the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh man, okay, all right, so you have plenty to live for. Everyone loves you. I love you. Okay. But at that point, it's no longer about them. It's about you. So it's, gosh, it's hard. And I will tell you that this transcends the personal and professional life because I've, I do this everywhere. Like I'm always, I'm always attuned to, uh, you know, I, I hate to phrase it like this. Maybe I don't hate to phrase it like this, but I'm attuned. I'm an empath. So I'm pretty attuned to people that are suffering or people that are hurting. Okay, mm -hmm. so I have a friend uh, that's really actually within the past couple of weeks, a few people that are very close to me have gone through a lot of stuff. Okay, and it's just uh, the season of life that I'm at. So I'm 36. So between 35 and 40, you're having kids. You're maybe uh, you're thinking about, is this the right career for me? You're potentially getting divorced. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens in that window. So I just have some friends that are in that season of life. And one of them that I'm very close with, you know, shared kind of the, the, the things that he's struggling with right now. And very quickly, okay, I said, hey, uh, you, know, you know who I am? You know how I am. And you know that I'm concerned about you taking your life. So I'm just going to ask you, are you thinking about killing yourself? And I said it just like that. And he said, no, I appreciate you asking me. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm just I'm really hurting right now. I said, okay, wh where do we go from here? And he shared with me what he wanted to do. And I kind of gave my uh, my two cents about, OK, I think, <laughs> you know, uh, talking to a clinical psychologist would be really helpful. So he he chose to do that. But, I, you know, I am who I am all the time. Right. So the mic that shows up uh, that shows up to work is the same mic that shows up at home, uh, the same mic that shows up to the gym, to competitions, you know, because even I, I don't remember at some point, as I was thinking about this podcast and I was thinking about the conversation I was going to have with you guys. So you, you've both been around strength sports for a long time. You've both been around, I mean, Jimmy ran around life a little longer than Mike and I have, but you've yes. both seen a lot and done a lot. Okay. But right. you don't remember, you do not remember if, uh, Joe Schmo pulled 600 or 725 in a meet. Okay. But you remember every single person that was an asshole Okay. Yeah. Or every person that was like, damn, that he, he or she was such a good person. Like yeah. the first time I met him, I'm like, like you ever met Kai Green? Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. 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 The first time I met Kai Green, I was just like, Hey man, I'm a big fan of you and your message. And he just looked, he's like, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. And I was like, man, what a nice guy. Yeah. But that's the type of stuff that sticks with you. So I say all that to say the way that I show up, is the way that I show up all the time because I want to have open and authentic conversations with everyone. Like I competed last weekend. I'm in between events and I'm having a conversation with, uh, with another guy. He was in my weight class. He was two years older than me and he's got two kids, one slightly older than my daughter. And we were talking about like the struggles of trying to navigate training around being a good parent. Okay. Cause it's, uh, 
it's going to require some degree of sacrifice on some end to continue to, to strength train, especially if you want to compete at a high level. But I, I don't want to uh, not pay attention to my family. Okay. I, and that's, that's something that I'm very uh, cognizant of because especially last year uh, I put myself in a really bad position where I was training so hard and pouring so much into it that I didn't enjoy it anymore. Mm. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Uh, and it wasn't until really earlier this year, maybe a little bit later last year, that I started to enjoy myself again because otherwise I'm like, what the hell am I even doing? Uh, and that requires a level of, I mean, I have to do a fair amount of introspection and thinking about if I'm really living my values. Um, but that's all stuff that I built on from when I first went to that resilience training and started to really think about think about mental health and just just being a good human, which is uh, something that I one of my friends, she's a mental health practitioner. She, that's her phrase. Just be a good human. When she was a commander, that's her model for a unit. Just be a good human. Just be good to people. So I said a fair amount of things there. Uh, no, what good. do you all want to pull back? Yeah. I want to go like, um, cause all this yeah. is, is very important and it is, but it's so extreme and it's sad how extreme of suicide and the military and, and, and losing friends or, you know, all mm-hmm. these things. And they're, 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 I don't want to say common, but they're not uncommon. Um, sure. so that sucks, but let's talk like more every single day. And this is when yeah, you sure. said you want to talk about mental health stuff. This is what I thought yeah. about. And back to like the macho man thing or the military, mm-hmm. we're fucking deadlifting 500 pounds. And a pet peeve of mine, because I have been to therapy on and off for 25 years, are these guys that say, oh, well, the gym is my therapy. Yeah. But they don't say it like oh. that. They say it in like a metal singer's voice, but I just didn't want to make fun of them as bad as I'm about to anyways, you know? It's my therapy. Yeah, yeah. If that's in your caption at Instagram, you're probably on the wrong podcast. Just go somewhere fucking else. <laughs> Jokes aside, you're welcome here. But uh, but it, we're trying to soften that a little bit here, so hang on. Well, I just don't get it, right? Like, what's... what? What is it about like physical exertion? I mean, that's compartmentalizing, right? Like literally the, the definition of if you're or even you said you're like people are so busy and you're before wh- whatever year you said about 2005 and stuff. You're like, oh, I just went to work and I stayed busy and I just thought, well, everyone stays busy. So I didn't think about my feelings. I knew I was kind of stressed and sad, but I didn't have time to think about it or, or, or take the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in the military, it is probably a little bit different. Uh, again, I have no experience there but like every day like therapy is generally affordable it is a bit of a luxury and it costs some money and depending on where you work it may not be covered and stuff but why is it so i almost i don't taboo is probably a little extreme of a word but why is it so no, uncommon? It's taboo. taboo yeah yeah why is Taboo's it so fair. uncommon for men to go or want to go and to think that pulling on a metal rod will fix what's going on between my ears. Yeah. Like, where's that connection even begin? Well, well, before we jump all the way into that, I want to say that there are people who have, like, proprioceptive differences than the rest of us. And the deep joint stimulation of lifting weights does calm their minds. And it's not so much a 
uh, a, a situation of mental health. It's like a sure. physical well, feedback I, thing but that's, that makes them feel better. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So that but that's, those people are get they got the pass. No, no, no. I think I think I think moving your body should be a baseline and a percentage of our overall health. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you sit on a couch all day and just watch murder mysteries, yeah. your mental health is not going to be great. No, you can watch some murder mysteries, go for a walk. Your mental health is going to be slightly better, but it's definitely not your therapy. Right. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn I'm gonna turn it back on you guys with a with a question, okay? So I want you to think about two different people in your mind, okay? I want you to think about a person that you've trained with that you enjoy being around them, you know, you train together, if they're having a bad day, they come in, you smash some bench and deadlifts, and you just enjoy being around them, and afterwards they're like, you know what? feel a little bit better now. I got rid of that stress. Okay. I also want you to think about a person that you've trained with and you do, they're not in a great mood or maybe they're really fired up about that training session. They come in for that bench and that deadlift and, you know, they leave not after not having a great session and it is, it is not good news for anyone. Okay. So, you know, they leave, it's, you know, they don't want it. They don't talk to anyone for 48 hours. Uh, you know, they, they're just not in a good place. Their identity is so strongly tied to their performance in the gym that they are perhaps ruining other aspects of their lives. Okay. Mm -hmm. So their relationships, they're not going to work. So do you have kind of a, an image of those two people in your mind? indelible yeah <laughs> so so that's those are kind of some extremes right but the reality it, it, at least in my mind and I, i'm confident that the research backs this up is that strengthening strength training can and should be something that makes our lives better so we're able to relieve some stress we're able to uh, become more physically resilient you know we're we're less apt to be sick we improve our cardiovascular function there are so many wonderful things that we can gain from strength training however okay the other side of that coin is that and i and i've fallen into this myself and i'm not even competing at that world-class level but when you become so tied to the amount of weight that you put on the bar that everything in your life so you've got the sponsors you know maybe you met your spouse through spouse through the gym uh, you don't see anything beyond that next, that next total or the total in six months from now. I mean, you're willing to sacrifice anything and everything and not, not really think about the consequences of those things. And I will say that, you know, and Mike, I know you're a huge basketball fan. Okay. There is a, you put a tremendous amount of sacrifice into being like MJ. Okay. Or yeah. LeBron or Kobe. Sure. Okay. You do. I mean, there's, yeah, there's yeah. no question. Uh, and I'm not going to I'm not going to cast shade on on any of them, okay? Because we make we make our bed, okay, uh, and then we lie in it. So yeah, but who yeah we, who's we, to say any yeah. of them have great mental health? So I say all all that to say I, I don't think a lot of those folks that maybe we had in mind on the extreme of that one bad session ruins the next week of their life. Uh, I don't think they're looking in the mirror reflecting on how their mental health is maybe may be suffering, okay? And how they may be 
They may be making the mental health challenges worse. Uh, they may have already been living with depression, but it could be making their depression worse because they feel like they are no longer worthy if they are not performing. And right. I know this will resonate with both of you, but who do you have to worry about? You worry about the elite level athlete the day after they retire because yeah. they look in the mirror and they're like, what do I do? And yeah. those that those that have kind of like a mission post uh, post sports career, they tend to do they tend to be better better off because they find a way to live their values. But those that don't really can really really struggle, uh, and they can struggle to the extreme of of dying by suicide. Uh, and that's I think it's incumbent on. Uh, the rest of us around around just everyone in our lives to just pay attention to the mental health of the people that you love the most. And I think the way that we should, we do that is we, you know, we notice uh, we have a good sense of, do you guys have a good sense of the people that you're around, how, how they are? Okay. How they are in the morning, how they are at night, uh, how they are in the gym. So like if, if Jim were to just be completely different tomorrow, Mike, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that a way that you can check in with his mental health is to just say something like, hey, Jim, uh, I noticed this morning like we we saw each other and you didn't you didn't say good morning like you always say good morning. Uh, you know, we've known each other for years. You've never done that. Like what's going on? And, and you display that genuine concern to where Jim's like, I'm not doing so good, Mike. Yeah. And then you have that conversation about about what's going on. But the problem is many of us, because we don't know the exact thing to say, we're like, uh, I don't want to ask Jim. It's kind of his business. You know, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to pry too much. But you love Jim. OK, he's your friend. You care about him. In order to demonstrate the love you have for him in that relationship, you ask him like, OK, man, like what's going on? Uh, yeah. And when you do that and, and you, you model those behaviors, the people around you start to do that. So today is an example, right? So not to get too, uh, too, too personal, but I'll just jump right into it. So I got, uh, I got some blood work back from the VA and I've got some, I've got some elevated lever enzymes and I'm probably going to mess up the name. So I have, uh, hereditary hematochromosis chromosis i think uh so it's something that has to do with how i absorb iron hmm. and i've been waiting on my blood work to come back because my last blood panel wasn't great so i've been waiting on this blood work to come back and i had about three friends uh that i shared this with uh, you know in the past i'm like hey guys nothing to worry about but i've got some kind of uh my blood work wasn't great and i get my blood checked by the va twice a year and uh, they're like, okay, uh, how you know? Even a couple weeks ago, they're like, how are you doing with this? I'm like, okay, like I'm doing all right, but you know, I really want to know what's going on. So today, I sent them the diagnosis, and I said, hey, uh, you know, here's what's going on. No intervention needed at this time. They still want to do an ultrasound of my liver to make sure uh, my liver's not having any issues, but you know, we're we're okay for now. Just more regular blood work. And they're like, hey, thanks for sharing. How are you doing with this? And you know, this is these are to the types of questions that I, I feel like I've modeled to them before <clears throat> and I've developed a rapport with them that they they not only you know want to know 
uh, or want to share like, hey, man, like, thanks for sharing with me. But they go, how are you doing with this? Uh, and that's something that I, I would offer that most of the people that I interact with in life probably wouldn't do that uh, or wouldn't know how to show up in those situations. But the closest people in my life know to just ask, like, I know you go through stuff and you carry it real well, but I just want to know, like, how are you doing with this? And my wife did the same thing. Uh, and, you know, we've, we communicate really well now. Uh, we've been working on it for years. You know, like most, uh, most, most couples are hopefully continue to work on communication. Uh, cause it's gotcha. Probably the number one in her relationships. I mean, I'm sure you guys know that. Uh, but even she said, well, how are you doing with this? And I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, uh, like I, I'm not dying, which is good. Uh, but you know, it's just something that, you know, it is something, something else I would, I was diagnosed with. And now I'm going to have to, uh, you know, pay attention to these things. Cause I still want to, I still want to be here. Right. So I still right. want to be able to, uh, to raise my daughter and then, uh, advocate for mental health, things that I'm passionate about strength, friend. That's why I'm in my gym. So yeah, at some point we had, we had started to, uh, to touch on, you know, what do we do in these day-to-day situations? But this is just, this is just a day in my life where, because I, I'm authentic with my friends and I genuinely express like, Hey, I know you're, you're struggling with this thing. I'm just checking in. How's it going? Okay. Uh, oftentimes we, we don't do those things because we don't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, we don't know what to say, but you start trying a little bit, you express some vulnerability. Okay. Maybe you screw up a couple times and you don't ask the right question and that's okay. But you know, I, I have found that something as uh, innocuous as hey, checking in, what's up, what's going on that checking in just, for whatever reason, it, it resonates really well with the men in my life that I check in on mm-hmm. uh, and, and the women I check in on, too. It just I don't know. It, it, it's very like, you know, hey, uh, what's up? What's going on? It's a little a little uh, more prodding than than yeah, what's how up was your but, day or how was. Yeah, your day? exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that's uh, you have a couple of that's, that's, that's the text. Yeah. That's the normal text. It's not a hello. It's a it's a, like, a, yeah, yeah. Checking in more of a checking in yeah, text. Yeah. What what I wonder though and you know I have no yeah. I have no training in this world other than my own experiences with therapy and going through more deaths than I want to count with my mom and loved ones and who knows what but to me a lot of that I think is great and hard it's really hard but we're still like step 1 to me is still self-awareness cuz like you like you if we go back in time in 2005 even mm-hmm. if someone told you to check in and your friends and say, yo, what's up? You good? Yeah. You wouldn't, yeah. Even, you wouldn't even know how or when to do that because you don't even know how or when you're sad. And if I don't know what would yep. make me fucked up, then how would I supposed to know what would make Jim mm. fucked You can't be empathetic if you don't feel your yeah. own feels. Right? It's like sure. you don't know what you don't know, which I think someone said earlier this evening. <laughs> uh, so, like, to me, because then the same mm. thing. Like, I'm just lucky enough that, uh, or unlucky enough, that I was an angry kid. My parents sent me to therapy, so I got to learn yeah. some of these things firsthand. And I think therapy, for those that, I mean, sure, you can go to yoga. Sure, you could go to some um, weekend whatever. Sure, you can meditate. But for me, Therapy forces you to be self-aware because even a decent therapist is going to ask you these weird questions and you're going to have to sit mm-hmm. there for an hour and be like, huh, I don't know how I felt when blah, yeah. blah, blah happened or when so-and-so blah, 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 you know? And so 
where, where does that sit in the military maybe? Where does that sit in your advice? And then maybe what's some of your experience on that? Because that's like, I think me and Jim are on the same page as this. That's, that's like our main, what we advocate here because, again, we're not licensed in any fucking therapy things. No. We don't know shit, but we do know how we've benefited from talking to someone. And, yeah, talking to a friend could be similar in some instances. But, again, if you don't know when you're fucked up or when you need help, it's hard to check in on someone or, or receive the same, you know? Uh, those are no. That's a really that, those are really good questions, and and I would say that uh, you know it it kind of varies when you start to uh, to develop these skills because yeah. some people never do. You know, yeah, and I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with adverse childhood experiences. So uh, what we call aces. So uh, adverse childhood experiences. So different things that can happen to a child that that. Uh, tremendously impact their development you know they they tend to kind of uh they build upon one another and then at a point when they kind of enter adulthood sometimes a lot of a lot of trauma has occurred uh in the beginning of an individual's life and uh it it sometimes requires like an intervention of a counselor or it sometimes requires maybe the intervention of someone that just cares and perhaps that person just never had anyone that cared about them until you, uh, you know, it, it, let's say it's someone that shows up to your gym and they're 18 years old and they're kind of like standoffish and they're looking around and, you know, Mike's doing some deadlifts cause Mike's always deadlifting. And, all uh, really do anymore. <laughs> so, you know, he looks over and he's like, Hey man, what's going on? And the guy's like, oh, I'm just, uh, just checking it out. And you can tell like, they don't want to be there, you know? Uh, but there's something that, that drew them in. So you just being a good human to them, be like, you want to, uh, you want to work out? And they're like, I guess, but I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. So you just saying like, I'll show you. Uh, you just displaying that, that kind something as simple as kindness to that other person. They're like, okay. Like an adult being nice to me, like, I, what, like, okay. Uh, so you can help people, grow okay and experience post-traumatic growth and yes there's still that post-traumatic stress but you can help them uh work through work through it you know in the non-clinical sense just being just being kind to someone else yeah. uh, and you eventually get to a point uh, that you just kind of sense that you, you meet someone and within an maybe an hour of spending time around them you can kind of tell that they just haven't been treated all that well in their life. And, you know, sometimes I get it. Like, not everyone is going to be your best friend. Okay. And sometimes people are just, I don't know. You just like, don't, you know, you, you just fucking don't annoying. immediately, you don't click, right? There's yeah, kind they're of fucking annoying. annoying. But yeah. 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 So <laughs> even in those cases, uh, I just think of, I, I go back to the fact that uh, every single human is worthy of dignity and respect. Okay, and we're uh, we're not going to go to the profound extremes right now of like like in war. Okay, but but every single person that you were going to yeah. interact with on the street is worthy of dignity and respect. For sure. And if you if you operate with that in mind, when you see that someone is genuinely struggling with anything, like someone drops a bunch of stuff at the store, and you're like, hey, let me help you out. And <clears throat> all right, I'll jump to an example. Okay, all right. Few weeks ago, I uh, I do this reading program, and I read to this second grader, super cool kid. 
he loves Takis, okay, the, the chips, and I bring him mm-hmm. Takis. And as long as I bring him Takis, he reads with me. So I bring him Takis, we read, and as I'm walking out, uh, there's a lady holding her son over her shoulder. And he looks, he looks kind of like he's passed out, okay, like he's just asleep. And uh, I open up the door. I'm like, hey, let me get the door for you. And I open the door for her, and I was like, oh, man, he's tuckered, huh? And she goes, uh, he just uh, he just had a seizure. He has epilepsy. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, but I was like, oh, man, I, uh, is, is there anything I can do to help you? And, and I helped her get to her car, and we got her son situated, and she had a couple other uh, kids with her in the car. But I, I, I just looked at this woman, and I'm like, man, uh, you know, she's in, in the middle of her workday. And she gets called out. She's got to go pick up, pick up her kid because they just had a seizure. And what I can offer her in that moment is I can hold two doors for her and let her know, like, hey, I hope you have a good day. Because, you know, I'm thinking about the stuff that went on in my day. And again, you know, I, I'm not trying to do the comparison thing, but I'm thinking, like, look at, you know, look at what she's carrying right now. And do people see that or do they just walk by her? Okay. And I, I think a lot of times we just walk by things like that because they make us feel uncomfortable. You know, we, we don't know, uh, we don't know what to do in that situation. So we see someone in a wheelchair and you're like, ah, do I, do I hold the door for them? Like, is that, is that the right thing to do? And, and I would say that in most instances, just lean in and just try to help people. Uh, and I think this displaying that sort of authenticity and, and modeling the behaviors you want to see out of other people, uh, that sort of stuff, just spreads uh, and other people start uh, others. I, I, I think that's, it's not going to solve all the problems in the world. Okay. There's a lot of problems to solve, but <laughs> I think, uh, I think we can make some headway if we, if we do things like that. And if we just, you know, we lean in a little bit more and we're just vulnerable and we're like, you know what? I, uh, <clears throat> I don't know what's going on with this person right now, but I'm just going to go talk to him. You know, I'm just going to go say, Hey, and that's why I see someone sitting by themselves because I was once that kid, right? So you see someone sitting by themselves at like a social gathering. Everyone's gotten to their assigned click. Okay? And then there's that one person. They're by themselves. And you're just like, you have no idea the type of impact you can have on someone's life just by doing something like that. Okay? Because they could go home to their, their family and be like, someone sat with me today. Like It was so cool. I had a conversation with someone. And then they're more willing to get out of their shell a little bit and t- start talking to people. Cause they're like, you know what? There are nice people out there that, that Mike or that gym guy, like they were really nice. So yeah. And maybe that's a little more like, maybe that's a little more actionable. I don't know. What no, do you it's think? good. Yeah. No, all of it's good. Uh, a thing that, um, that I've discovered in the last couple of years is, you know, when we talk about trauma, that trauma is very individual. There are traumas that all of us can say, Oh, that's horrible. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a terrible thing for someone to experience. And then there are other things that, that don't on their surface look terrible, but it's the mm-hmm. impact that, that it has on the person. And yeah. I, I, I think that as humans, we tend to be a little on the judgmental side. And I think, you know, if something happens to someone and they react a lot and you think, well, that's not that big a deal. Like, why are they having, you know, why are they so upset about it? And it's like, well, it's because 
it's harder for them. Like there's a part of it that you can't see. You don't understand what their background was or what their temperament is uh, in general. And you just don't know why it's impacting them the way it is. And you, we get into that. Oh, they're just a weak person kind of judgmental thing. And uh, it just, it, it doesn't pay to go there. I guess is what I'm trying to say. You want to go, uh, you want to go deep with this one? How deep you want to go? Let's go. All right. So uh, hopefully I don't screw this number up, but uh, the number of women that are sexually assaulted in college is significant. Okay. And and it's still, it's still happening to this day. I I don't know if the number is one in five, but, but it's a lot. Okay. So I say all that to say that not, uh, not everyone is impacted by, uh, by sexual assault in the same way. And we need to be mindful of those things. Okay. Even though that's sig- that statistic is significant and a lot of women go through that, uh, we need to be mindful that we don't, we don't treat everyone the exact same way. We treat them the way that they need to be treated. Okay. Yeah. So that's the, the golden rule is treat everyone like you want to be treated. The platinum rule is treat everyone how they want to be treated. So we have to create a culture Okay, where when something as profoundly traumatizing as sexual assault, we need to let people know that we will get them what they need when they need it. Okay, because sexual trauma in particular doesn't always manifest with symptoms the next day, the next week, the next year, etc. It could be several years before that that woman or man, because men are sexually assaulted as well, not as many statistically, but sexual assault against men or against males is also very underreported because of because of the stigma and because men may not seek help because they don't want to appear weak. Okay, and that's that's a cultural issue again. But we need to get we need to get people what what they need, okay, when they need it. So that's why, you know, when people uh, I mean, we can even talk we can talk about something like me, too. Okay. And, you know, there were people and I interacted with people that were like, man, I, that happened so long ago. Like, why are you worried about it? Like, look, uh, I, I hope that you've never experienced something as traumatizing as sexual assault. But that is something that most individuals will need to will, will need to work through at some point through their lives. OK, so they in likely with a clinician. OK, mm-hmm. and we need to afford them the opportunity to do that. However, um, you know, there's so much, and Harvey Weinstein is a perfect example, okay? People would go, well, why didn't any of these women speak up before, okay? Well, they didn't because the consequences of that would be maybe they never get to work in Hollywood again, okay? So not only have they been traumatized and assaulted by, by someone as sick and sadistic as Harvey Weinstein, okay, then they lose their their livelihood, so there's a secondary loss to that. So I'm very uh, uh, cognizant that empathy is something that we need to harness because it really is like a superpower. Okay, if we could just for a moment put ourselves into someone else's shoes, put ourselves into someone else's shoes, and think about, man, how how could that potentially affect me? Where we afford a little more grace to others because we go like, you know what? I never want to go through something like that, but I want to help that person 
that that's going through that right now. So I I don't know. Does that? Uh, what, what do you think, Jim? I know that was good. I think you you uh, in just in 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 my mind you put the thesis statement on the whole episode, and that's that empathy is a superpower. That's really that's really all of what we've been talking about, and it, being able to empathize with another person's situation and and give them space to to share whatever they're comfortable sharing and help them in whatever way that you can, yep. um, because there's uh, you know there's the I'm going to stumble over this for a second here, but uh, sometimes when you reach out to the person and say, hey, are you cool? Everything good? What's up? Mm-hmm. Whatever. You really don't get it. The, you don't really don't get the real answer. You get, sure. you know, you get a facade of, of, of whatever. And mm-hmm. most of the time they can tell that you're not buying it, but they don't have anything else yeah. to give you. Yeah. And those are difficult situations. But you've if you've done the best you can, at least you can, like, sleep at night kind of mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah maybe just well, stop too so you can check in next week as well so those are deposits right okay so those are deposits into like a relationship piggyback so every yeah. time you check in every time you let them know i'm there i care every time you do those things you are making a deposit into that relationship and eventually they might get to the point where they're like you know what i've been bullshitting jim for a while I know he keeps. I know he ain't buying them anymore. I'm finally going to tell Jim what's really going on with me. Okay, so uh, yeah, I, I think that's the way we. So even if you, even if you don't get the answer that you really want, you're like, I know you're lying to me. Even if you don't get it, there's a potential that down the road you you, you might get it from them. Yeah. Well, I uh, I think we could talk the rest of the day. Oh yeah, for probably, sure. But we probably shouldn't. Uh, what we should probably do is say uh, we will have you back, and okay, and we yeah, will, always we'll dig, happy to do it. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll dig in. Um, sometimes, sometimes stuff happens in the world that um, we want to talk about that has this slant, and and um, we're just speaking from our own experience, and not in 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 a way that um, really helps people figure out how to how to yeah. navigate those situations. Yeah, I don't know how to navigate it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, just do my best. Um, so anyway, thanks so much for being with us today. How can people find you? How can people find me? Probably the only way these days is uh, Dr. Mike Badalino on the old Instagram. Now, yeah. uh, funny little story about, uh, you know, why I, why I got my doctor. So I got my doctorate in education. I finished a little over a year ago. I'm very passionate about education. I, I, I like education research, and I'm in the education space. So I felt like getting a terminal degree in education made sense. But there was a secondary, uh, a secondary reason that I got my doctorate, and that was I really love the line in Happy Gilmore. Okay, so Happy gets hit by the Volkswagen Beetle, and you know he's got to get. You know the doctor comes up to him. He's like, "You cannot go back out there." And he's just like, I'm playing. He's like, what do I know? I'm just a doctor. So that, <laughs> that, that line right there, okay, I can't tell you how often I use it just in training sessions. And, you know, someone on my That's team great. is like, like, I don't know if I should, should go up another 20 pounds. I was like, go up another 20 pounds. And like, you think I'm like, I'm just a doctor. So uh, I, I use it. You know, I, I, I'm not serious. I don't take myself that seriously. But. <laughs> I really did have it in my mind that someday, okay, maybe even like an important meeting, 
the generals there and uh you know they're like my god i don't know about that statistic do you think that's right i'm like hello it's the doctor what do i know yeah you gotta whip uh, it out somewhere <laughs> yeah it's fun right. it's fun that's awesome uh mikey ladies and gentlemen thanks for listening Brand new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Connect with us. We'd love to hear your feedback on some of the latest guests and some episodes. 50percentfacts.com. There's a link to our Discord. We're hanging out there, chatting, some giveaways, exclusives, which leads me to the next point, 3sb.co, our apparel. Check it out. Um, in the Discord, we talk lifting life. I don't even know what. I was talking to mess today about test boosters or who knows what we we're talking about. But um, we're giving away free giveaways, exclusives, and first looks at all our clothes. Check that out. I'm selling mic everywhere you want to find me. Hey, Matthew. The Jim McD and all the social media. This show is 50% facts, where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers. And we'll talk to you next week. Actually, no, wait, this is a Wednesday episode, so we'll talk to you on Friday. All right. All right, see you Friday. Right. Thanks again, Mike. Oh, you're welcome. No, this was uh this is awesome. So thank you for uh thank you for allowing me to do this. I you know, if you can't tell, I uh I sort of go wherever like the conversation takes us and I'm pretty oh, passionate good. about these things. So, uh, you know, Jim, I think I told you in, uh, 2015. So you had done the episode with, uh, if I mess up. So I, I don't remember, uh, what pronoun they use, but Janae Brock. Yeah. 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 I think you're the safest with Matt because I think he still lives uh, a life of both. Okay. So you okay. can't insult him. Uh, as, as far I mean, don't take my word right. I'm not him speaking, but last I heard, he lives his life 50 50. Okay. So you can't be, you can't fuck it up as bad. Okay. So <laughs> I told Jim in a restaurant that that episode just really, you know, I, I, I was in town for the, uh, I don't remember what competition it was. I was in town for something. Um, yeah. And that, that podcast had dropped. And I was like, man, that really uh, that really opened my eyes. Uh, and yeah, that was w- one of the reasons that I've just always been passionate about what you guys do was just, you know, authentic uh, conversations like that where I'm like, man, I freaking learned a lot. Because I, I mean, I grew up idolizing Matt Kroc. And then to hear yeah. them talk about uh, everything they were going through and how that impacted them and their kids, uh, that was just... So I the uh, documentary. No, where's documentary? Where's their documentary? Oh, it's on Netflix. It's on uh-huh. Matt. Uh, it's called Transformers, and and you know now that we're off air, I actually yeah. don't think it's that great of a documentary. But some of the aspects they do show, where his yeah. dad's like this hard ass from Ohio who lives Ooh. in a trailer kind of stuff, and Matt goes and hangs out with them, that yeah. all gets kind of weird. Like it, okay. it is interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, okay. uh, definitely yeah. worth a watch. Yeah, and the podcast is actually in the movie. Yep. I haven't gotten my royalty for it yet, but yeah, my voice get, is in a Netflix film. We get crap for it, but, <laughs> but you know, uh, we I gave them footage. I just sit here. <laughs> yeah, they use like 20 seconds. Yeah, there's not a lot, but there's a little a little bit. You can, yeah. You can, you can kind of get it. Um, uh, yeah, that was... That was a real touchstone. Like that was, yeah. I think maybe the the highest point of the whole of the whole experience for yeah. Yeah. for us. Um, it was. Uh, There's a couple of little interviews like that that kind of reach something, you know. Yeah, yeah. The um, it's it's sad that that situation ended the way it did with you know that that podcast, but it is what yeah. it is. Well, um, I appreciate what you guys do. I can't wait to see the gym. Uh, I'll. 
I'll figure out a way to get out to Sacramento. I actually, I'm going to Orange County next month. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm doing Clash on the OC, which is going to be a brutally hard comp, and I'm going to get my ass kicked, but I don't care. Like, it's going to be fun. <laughs> World's Strongest Man is end of May in Sac. It is. It's the same. Uh, so it's the same weekend. I have no idea what they were thinking because I compete Saturday. So it's the same day as the finals. Uh, nice. I don't know why they did that. I wish they would just bump our comp to Sunday so that I could watch the World yeah. Strongest Man. Yeah. yeah, that is. So I could watch. Uh, I'm going to call it here. So y'all you, tell me if I'm right later. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that Luke Stolman wins. I think Luke will win. Uh, is Lisi's back? Is Martins competing? Martins is competing. So Martins so, yeah. is competing. Uh, Alexei Did he won the Rogue is competing. Did What's he that? win the Rogue Invitational? So Martins won the Rogue and the Arnold. Oh, and you're going. You're still going, Luke, huh? I am going, Luke, uh, because he. He keeps improving, and I, I genuinely believe when I hear him say that he will be the world's strongest man this year, I think he believes it. Now, whether or not, you know, because it's obviously contingent on how everyone else performs, right? Right, So and what events show up and who knows what. So we know the events, uh, and I don't recall there being a max deadlift. That would be his, his uh, Achilles if that were in the final, but I don't think it is. So... Yeah, I, I think it's going to be uh, Luke Stoltman, Alexei Novikov, and Martins Lisi's on the podium. Okay, we're going to save this. Uh, yeah, we maybe that's a little question we just asked all our guests from now on. There we Until go. Until the day we got five weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sweet. But yeah. I'm going to go get some cookies from Crumble. I don't know if you all have a Crumble where you're at, but I'm going to go get some Crumble cookies. I, I that, hear good things. I that sounds good things. very good. All right. <laughs> all right, well, thanks again for being on. This is oh, yeah, probably – thank you. Not next Wednesday, Wednesday after. Okay, perfect. Days out. All right. Y'all have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks, dude. You too. Appreciate it.